And so now we look at a new passage in uh, the 316 series that I want to go ahead and point our attention to. It's Matthew chapter 3, specifically looking at verse 16. If you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're hungry, look at the person next to you and say, let's eat. Let's eat. Matthew 3.16 says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Uh, I think that it's only appropriate that when we look at these 3.16 passages, we have to acknowledge that there was a 15 or a 17 in there somewhere to make sure we're reading these verses in its rightful context. So let's go ahead and bring this into its context, starting in verse 13. The scripture says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. That leads us to our verse this morning, 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Verse 17 says, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Father, I pray that you would speak to us now through this message. God, teach us, help us to get to know you better. Open our hearts, set us on fire, speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we look at this text, we realize that this is the moment in history where the Son of God, Jesus Christ, took his step of baptism. This is a huge moment in history. It's a glorious moment found throughout the Bible. Specifically in the New Testament, this moment would be highlighted by many of the different authors, even in the book of Acts. It's always going back to that moment that Jesus was baptized. This would be the marker in Jesus' story where he would begin his public ministry as Messiah and King. Not that he wasn't before that, but this is when he began to make it, when he began to make it known. Hundreds of thousands of people still today travel to the Jordan River so that they can say, I was baptized in the place where Jesus was baptized. In the Bible, we see the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the four narratives of the life of Jesus, the four Gospel good news accounts. They're biographies of the living Savior, Jesus. And in all four, they all four record a moment where they highlight Jesus' baptism. That should show us that all four authors thought this was important enough to make sure we remember it in the scriptures. Today we're looking at the first account, Matthew's account, and I think there's much for us to learn here. Uh, originally when I came across this verse, I thought, man, that would be cool to preach on, and then I realized the more I studied it, man, like this is deep stuff. Deep, right? So are you guys ready to go uh, swim in the deep end a little bit? If you're ready, say, let's do it. Okay, all right, I'm down. Let's do it. Verse 13 through 15 says, uh, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Now, this is really neat. I think that's important that we just take a minute and look at verse 13. Jesus has now grown up Jesus. Matthew 1 and 2, you still see baby and child Jesus. Merry Christmas, everybody. Jesus is growing up, right? And now he's beginning to set himself apart for his public ministry, right? It says that he came from Galilee where he was living to the Jordan to meet his relative named John. Now, some people have said that John is Jesus' cousin, 
there's nowhere in the Bible that proves that, but we do believe he's a relative. John's mom was a lady named Elizabeth. Elizabeth was Mary, Jesus's earthly mom's cousin. Elizabeth had John. So what does that make him? I don't know, a relative, all right? So someone's a distant cousin, right? I don't know, right? He, but he's connected, okay? So Jesus says, I'm going to meet John. Now, John is a prophet. Now, John is living out the prophetic word that was on his life given to his dad, Zechariah, that said, you will have a son, and he will go prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way for the Lord was a prophetic word given in Isaiah chapter 43 about a man who would come having an anointing like Elijah who would begin preparing the way for the coming Messiah and King, right? So John is doing that. How's he doing that? Well, he's outside, he's in the river, and he's baptizing people, people that have issues with sin, people that have issues with uh, um, um, wrongdoing and things in their lives that they need to get right with the Lord. So by faith, they're putting their faith in God, this coming Savior. One day he's going to come, this Messiah. He's going to save us. And John's saying, get ready for when he comes. So go get baptized. Cleanse yourself like a ceremonial cleansing. Go get baptized. Go into the water. Come out. Repent from your sins and be new. Right? That's what John's doing. Now, here goes Jesus. He shows up one day at John's baptism. There's people in line. They're like, hey, John, we know the Messiah's coming one day. I got sin in my life. Will you cleanse me? Will you baptize me? And John's baptizing people, preparing them. Now, one day, the next person in the line is, oh, snap, that's Jesus, right? And, and in another translation, it says that John said, I'm not even worthy to, to tie your Jesus sandal, right? And, and Jesus says, I'm actually here for you to baptize me. Now, the next text is really interesting. John would have prevented him. In other words, said, hold up, pause, stop. Saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? John's like, hey, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. But Jesus 15, 15 says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. Now, Many scholars and commentaries debate on verse 15. What does Jesus mean when he says, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness? Um, there's a lot of different stances and points and worldviews. My stance is this, and I think this is a good news word for us. I agree with some commentators that believe when Jesus says that it's, it's for him to do to fulfill all righteousness, I, I think there's a couple reasons. One reason is because... He wants to obey the prophetic word that was for him. What does that mean? Well, there was a prophecy that said that the Messiah will come and, and, and he won't sin and he will, he'll be obedient, right? And he'll be obedient to the prophets in the land. So here's a prophet, John. He's calling people to get baptized. Jesus is saying, by me being obedient to him and not saying, I don't need to be baptized by you. That's Jesus saying, I'm fulfilling righteousness on my life. Another way I think that he's fulfilling righteousness on his life is that he never asked us to do something that he didn't do first. Yeah. Is that cool? Yeah. Like Jesus isn't going to go say, y'all need to go get baptized. I didn't need to get baptized. But Jesus is saying, so I can fulfill all the righteous things that I'm going to do. One day I'm going to ask my believers to go get baptized. And they won't be able to say, well, that's nothing Jesus do. They say, no, actually he did that first. Yeah. Right? He went and found John. He made a decision. And he got baptized as well. So i got to follow my leader is what Jesus is saying. He's saying a good follow the leader does it first, right? And Jesus is fulfilling that on his life. I think it's going to become a little bit more clear as we continue journeying through his baptism. Now let's go ahead and look at verse 16. It says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water 
Behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. I want us to talk about five points that we see in Jesus' baptism. The first thing that we see in the baptism of Jesus, and this is one of my favorite points, the first thing that we see is that Jesus identifies with people far from God. In Jesus' baptism, we see him make the point to identify with people far from God. Remember, the people getting baptized weren't getting baptized because they were so holy. They were getting baptized because they were so unholy. And now Jesus is in that line. Now, again, this is also a debated text because some people have the the erroneous worldview that Jesus had sin in his life. Maybe that's why he needed to get baptized. That is not why he needed to get baptized. Some people say, well, Jesus did sin at some point. The reality is Jesus had no sin in his life. I want to prove it to you through the scriptures. I'll just give you four snapshots. 1 Peter 2.22, the disciple Peter, notice he wrote in all caps because this was a big deal, right? Peter's like, he who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, that Jesus, Peter's like, look, I was his friend. Even though he denied him three times, he made it right, all right? So he came back. So today, if you came back to the Lord, just find your encouragement that Peter did too, right? He committed no sin, and nor was any deceit found in the Lord's mouth. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God, he made Jesus to who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. The only sin that was in Jesus' life was our sin thrown on him on the cross, right? He made him to be no sin, but to be sin on our behalf so that he, we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 4 says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Come on, somebody say amen right there, right? But we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus tempted by sin, yes. All the sin that you and I struggle with, yes, Jesus felt that too. But the thing that makes Jesus separate is that he never gave in. And if Christ lives in you, then you can have victory too. He never gave in to sin. 1 John 3, 5 says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. So Jesus isn't in the baptism line because he's sinful. He's in the baptism line because he wants to identify with sinful people. He's wanting to let them know that I'm here too and I'm with you even though I don't need to necessarily be that. In Isaiah 53, we see this prophetic word lived out. In Isaiah 53 verse 12, it says that he was counted among the rebels. I knew Jesus was a running rebel. Right? I knew he loves Las Vegas that much that he would count himself among the rebels. Like, I, if you're a rebel fan this morning... You, you got the right, you're on the right team, amen? All my Reno folks. Jesus wasn't a wolf. He was a rebel. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. All right, let's keep, let's keep going. Let's, let's, let's get back on track. Y'all with me? Y'all, are we safe? All right. Some of your translations say he was counted among the rebels. Some of y'all say it was, he was counted among sinners. He was counted among transgressors. What that means is Jesus, he, he was counted among them even though he wasn't them. This is how much our God relates to us. This is how much our God wants you to know that you can bring your mess ups to him and your mess will turn into your message, right? Like that God will redeem stuff in your life because he can, he can relate. He, he didn't do it, but he can relate, right? He was counted among them. His baptism is a prophetic revelation of Hebrew, of Isaiah 53, 12. All right. So Jesus is counted among 
the rebels as he's in the baptism line. I think that is just amazing. That's what we see in Jesus' baptism. How cool is that, that when we as believers in Christ get baptized, right? It says, get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? When we get baptized, we identify with Jesus. When Jesus gets baptized, he identifies with us, right? That's what I want you to see. When we take that step, it's us saying, okay, I'm on your team now. Like, what's baptism? I think if, if we're using, like, gang language, this is, like, our initiation. Like, if you want to get jumped in, in other words, you got to get baptized in, right? Jesus is like, hey, you're a real believer. Let me see it. Go get baptized, okay? And, and, and that's, way, that's the way we identify with team Jesus. But Jesus says, I want to identify with you, and I'll show you that in my baptism, which is just a beautiful picture of of how Jesus identifies with people. This is a great word on humility, isn't it? Like, if we got Jesus, the Son of God, who's never sinned, he's righteous, he's, he's holy, he doesn't have to get baptized, but he's in the line, what's stopping you from being humble this morning? Like, type of text, Jesus' baptism blows up pride. We see it also in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. Check out this on the screen, and maybe it might speak to you. It says, you must have the same attitude. Everybody say, same attitude. same attitude. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Like, if you struggle with pride this morning, and I can relate, I, I've been there. Here's what, here's what I want you to speak over your life. Say, man, I want to have the same attitude Jesus had. That though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. That Jesus isn't walking around with his God card saying, I'm God. Listen to me. That's not how he modeled humility, right? Jesus said, even though I am God, I'm not going to cling to that as something that I need to wave around and brag about. Instead, I'm going to show you. Verse 7 says, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Not just born as a human, he was a baby, right? That's the most humbling thing you could do is become a baby. That's what God did in Christ. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That Jesus is giving us a picture of what humility looks like. It looks like saying less of me, more of him. It's not even about me. It shouldn't be hard to apologize. It shouldn't be hard to say, I blew it, forgive me. Because we have a savior that became a man who got baptized and was counted among the rebels and ultimately was crucified on the cross for my sin and your sin. Amen? Amen. That's the type of God we believe in. And he models that in his baptism story. The second thing we see in Jesus' baptism is how he models how baptism is done. So the first thing we see Jesus identify with people far from God. And the next thing we see is how he models how baptism is done. Let's look at it in the scripture. It says that in verse 16, we'll pull it up here on the screen. It says that when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open. There's really two things we see in Jesus' modeling of baptism that I think is important for us to identify. The first is that Jesus made his own decision. That it wasn't Jesus pressured by peers to take this step of baptism. It wasn't Jesus' parents' decision. Like, it doesn't say, and Jesus was baptized because Mary and Joseph wanted him to be. Right? It doesn't say, and Jesus was baptized because he felt pressured to be. It doesn't say that Jesus was baptized because he wanted to fit in with the cool crowd. It, it doesn't say that. 
It says that Jesus was baptized. It was his decision. In fact, if anything, it was John trying to stop him. Right? It was definitely his decision. Jesus is modeling what biblical baptism is. And in doing so, he's modeling what biblical baptism isn't. What do I mean by that? And I know that this could be a little challenging, but hear my heart on it. Every year, multiple times, I get a message from somebody, and it starts out so sweet. And it's, Pastor Hyden. No, it's like a deep voice. Pastor Hyden. <laughs> I'm going to put my spiritual. I just want to thank you. I want to honor you. And guess what? I'm going to give you the highest honor to baptize my baby. Right? And, and I'm always torn at that moment because I'm like, man, what a special invitation. But biblically, we never see a baby get baptized. The only time we see somebody get baptized is when they make that decision themselves. It's not their parents' faith that they're doing. It's not, uh, it's not, hey, you know what? I guess I could do this. I guess I should do this. So I might as well do this. It's somebody coming to the decision themselves to say, you know what? If that's my parents' faith, now it's my faith. And I believe Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And now I'm going to go make the decision to get baptized in my local church. And I'm going to celebrate with my family the new life that God has given me. That's what biblical baptism is. So watch this. If you have been baptized any other way than that, we would say that's a cheap bath, right? <laughs> we'd say, you know what, that, that's not necessarily what God called you to do. You, you, it's out of order. Like you got baptized before you were a believer, and maybe now you need to make that right. Next Sunday, we're having a baptism right here at Walk Church. And maybe you would say, you know what? I need to get that situation right. I know, I know a lot of people that have had that, that testimony right here in this church. I, I, a, a pastor friend in my life said he got baptized after he preached a sermon and realized he wasn't biblically baptized. Right? Hey, it can't be a pride issue, y'all. Jesus got baptized. <laughs> Come on, right? Like... What are people going to think? What did, Jesus didn't care what people thought. He was modeling for them what this thing looks like. And baptism doesn't save us, but it's the next step after you've been saved. It's you declaring to the world. It's declaring to yourself. It's declaring to your church, this is who I am. Right? Another thing we notice about Jesus' baptism and how he modeled this is that not only did he make his own decision, but the scripture says that when he went up from the water... He was baptized. He went up from the water. And that, that gives us a description of what this thing looks like. Uh, I, I would go ahead and read into the scripture here. Give me some grace to do that. In order to come up from the water, you need to go down into the water. Amen? Right? Right. So Jesus went down in the water, I would suppose, in order for him to come up from the water in the river. What that means is the biblical model for baptism is not a sprinkling. It's not a cup that you pour on somebody's head. It's not, you know, let me just give you a little splash of that and a splash of that. Not a little essential oil there and, you know, a little what. That's not biblical baptism. That could be your thing, but just know it's not baptism thing, right? Baptism is where you make a decision to get baptized because of your faith in Christ. You go down into the water as a spiritual grave and you rise up from the water as a new creation. That's what biblical baptism is. It's huge. It's a big deal. It's important. It's not the, other, it's not the pendulum swing where it's like, you got to get baptized to be saved. Baptism doesn't contribute to your salvation. 
Faith alone contributes to your salvation. The moment you put your faith in the gospel, that's when salvation happens. Now, now, now Jesus says, show it. Show who you really are through this symbol of baptism. Some of you have heard that it, it correlates to a wedding ring. My knuckle's getting big. I'm playing basketball jamming, and I can't pull this off, right? Um, but, you know, hey, if I pull this wedding ring off, I'm still married. If I gave it to you and you put it on, that doesn't make you married, right? Right? Look, what it, what it means is that this is a picture of me being married. It's not what saves me. It's just a symbol that demonstrates what it is. And so baptism, when you get baptized, it's this picture that says, this is who I am. And we see that modeled in the life of Jesus. Tony Marita says in his commentary, he says, Jesus models obedience for his followers by being baptized, which is an obedience that he will eventually command his followers to submit to. Let me give you the third picture we see in, in Jesus' baptism. We see him identify with people far from God. We see him model how baptism is correctly done. And then we see Jesus display a picture of salvation. We see Jesus display this picture of what salvation is. I think this picture is also demonstrated for us in the New Testament book, Romans. Paul starts to write about baptism in Romans chapter 6, and he says in Romans 6, verse 4, he says, we were buried, right, when you go into the water, with Christ by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might, say this word with me, Come on, that was weak. Say it with me. That we too might walk in the newness of life. That baptism is a picture of me being buried into Christ's death on the cross, buried into the grave that he was pronounced dead in, and then risen out of the water to, to identify with his risen life from the grave. That when we get baptized, that's when we identify with the gospel. That's when we identify with salvation. That's this picture, again, of what we believe. To quote from Tony Morita one more time, I love his commentary on this scripture. He says, baptism pictures death and resurrection to new life, such that here at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, we get a picture of the climax of his ministry right here at the beginning. Every person who trusts in Christ for salvation is baptized, immersed in water as a picture of our dying to sin and to ourselves and to rising to new life in Christ. I love that, in, that, that, that this in Matthew 3.16, watch this, this is the first time the gospel is ever communicated in the New Testament. Some of y'all thought like, well, hey, don't you got you to preach the gospel and, and talk about the death, resurrection, and new life of Christ? yes. Or did it have to actually happen where Jesus died first to see it? We're going to get there. The first time we do see the gospel is in Matthew 3.16 as Jesus is preaching through his baptism what he's coming to do. The, the, the picture of baptism is a picture of the gospel, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his new life to come. That's all shown in Matthew 3.16. Let me go ahead and lead us to our fourth point that we see in Jesus' baptism that I think is so special here. We see Jesus identify with people far from God, model how baptism's correctly done, display a picture of salvation, and now we see Jesus here anointed by the Holy Spirit himself. Watch this. Let's read it. Second part of verse 16, it says, Behold, 
the heavens were opened to Jesus, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. I don't know about you, but I like to read the Bible. I like to put myself in the Scripture. Like, I like to just, you know, jump into this book, right? I want you to go there. Can you go there with me really quick? Can you just imagine for a second that you're there in the Jordan River that day? Maybe you're just watching from the side. Can you smell the water? Can you see Jesus right there with John the Baptist counted among the rebels? And he's there. And as he's coming up from the water, the heavens open. What's happening right now? Out of the heavens comes a dove-like creature anointed with the Holy Spirit and rests on Jesus. What a moment. That is in this moment that we believe this is a marking of anointing from the Father that Jesus is set apart as the Messiah who was and is to come who would save his people. This was a moment, if you knew your Old Testament, that you would say, this is him. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. There's only a couple times in the entirety of the Bible where heaven opened. Right? It's this time there was a moment in Ezekiel where there was a glance into heaven. There's John's revelation where he gets taken up to heaven. There's a moment um, in Stephen's testimony in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen being stoned to death looks up, sees heaven opening. Jesus at the right hand standing by the Father. But here we see heaven open and something come down. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Let me give you a couple prophetic verses that this fulfills. The first one we see in Isaiah 42 Verses 1 through 4, Isaiah 42 says, Behold my servant, that my servant phrase is often applied to Jesus. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice for the nations. Praise God, God is a God of justice, amen? Right, he's not an unjust God, he's a God who brings forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street, that's really our job. He's given us the gospel to make known and proclaim. Jesus is doing his part here. A bruised reed will not break. Faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. This is a picture of that in Matthew 3.16. Another Isaiah prophecy, just a few chapters later, Isaiah 61, verse 1. There's a part in Jesus' ministry where Jesus says, haven't y'all read Isaiah 61, church? It's talking about me, and here he quotes it. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom and liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison, those who are being bound, those who are bound. Right? Jesus says, those verses are talking about me. They say, how do you know? Don't you remember my baptism where the Spirit came from heaven and rested upon me and anointed me for this task? Now, don't be confused. It's not that Jesus didn't have the Holy Spirit before this. In the Christmas story, it says that even Mary knew that the Holy Spirit was among her and in her womb through Jesus. Right? Jesus, even at 12 years old, Jesus was in the synagogues speaking and teaching the rabbis because he was so filled with the Holy Spirit. But this was a mark of anointing for his ministry. That Jesus had yet to start doing the messianic signs and actions that he would uh, about to do. This was the starting place 
for him. Last point of the sermon before we close. You know, really quick, before we go, before we go to the fifth point, I want to give you a word really quick. Can I do it? Sure. Okay. All right. Thank y'all. There's like three people that are, I'm going to talk to y'all over here. All right. Can I just speak to y'all over here? Can I talk to everybody too? All right, cool. Um, in case you think that this verse right here is, this is a special Jesus verse, but the Holy Spirit's not necessarily for me. Let me just remind you, the Holy Spirit's for you too. That you need to be anointed with the Holy Spirit too. That the Holy Spirit needs to come into your life too. And you need to be born again of the Holy Spirit as well. And the Holy Spirit, here's some characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Maybe one day we'll do a series just on the Holy Spirit because he's worth it. And notice I don't say it's worth it. He's worth it. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of Jesus. He's a Holy Spirit, not a worldly spirit. Some of y'all are mad. Like, the Holy Spirit keeps convicting me. He's a Holy Spirit. Like, what do you think he's going to convict you with? Holiness, right? So the Holy Spirit's in us, making us more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit comforts us in our discomfort. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the teachings of Christ. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do more than we could even ask or think, right? The Holy Spirit fills us with the presence of God. We're living temples. The Holy Spirit is here on display today, and the Holy Spirit convicts us, not condemns us, encourages us, helps us, focuses us, is there with us in every season. We need the Holy Spirit of God in us and through us, amen? Now watch this. Let me give you a verse. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is preaching about the Holy Spirit. He is. And here's what he says. You know, y'all help me. Read it with me off the screen. Ready? One, two, three. If you then who are evil, Jesus just called us all evil. I know. It's... But watch, he's about to help us. If you then who are evil, come on, stay with me, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit, church, is for you to ask him for. Like, he's saying, hey, I don't think the Holy Spirit's like, mm, I'm just going to just hang out with this person or this person. I think the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, ask me, and I'll demonstrate more of my life in you. If you, need a, if you need a deeper outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God, take Jesus at his word and ask him. Don't just be like, man, Matthew 3.16 is dope. Like the Spirit of God fell on Jesus. Be like, man, that, that motivates me. I want more of Jesus in my life. I want more of the Spirit of God in this place and on my life. Amen? Amen. That's what we see here. The, f- the fifth and final point that we see in Jesus' baptism is this. We see Jesus affirmed by his Father. This is amazing right here. This is probably my favorite point in the Scripture. That Jesus is affirmed by his father. Verse 17, we'll look at it up here on the screen. It says that, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Something special about Father God entering into the, the picture, amen? Like for those of you who who are not quite sure on the Trinity, let me just give you a little lesson, that the Trinity is a biblical theological concept that's true in the Bible. He is God the Father, He's God the Son, and He's God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Now, how do you know that? Well, in this specific moment, unlike any other place in the Bible, you see God the Son, Jesus, 
getting baptized. You see God the Holy Spirit joining him in this. And you see God the Father saying, yes, that's my son who I'm well pleased with. The Holy Spirit showed up for the baptism in such a cool way. Amen? He's all over it. He is all over this thing. And I want you to see the, the, the Trinity at work. Matthew Henry in his great commentary on the Bible says, At Christ's baptism, there was a manifestation of three persons in the sacred Trinity. The, the Father confirming the Son to be mediator, the Son solemnly entering upon the work, the Holy Spirit descending on him to be through his mediation communicated to his people. Right, so we see the Trinity at work. R. Kent Hughes, he, he compliments what Henry says when he says it like this. Jesus has sufficient character reference. Amen? Like if you're like, Jesus, validate your baptism. You say, well, the Father God showed up. The Holy Spirit showed up. The greatest prophet, John, showed up. It was the real deal. Right? The greatest man on earth, John, two members of the Holy Trinity, the Father and the Spirit were all there to validate of what I'm doing. I want you to see that what Jesus chose to do in this baptism is a beautiful picture of the gospel and a picture of the Father affirming his choice. The last thing I'll say about this, and I'll be done, is that I want you to see, like nowhere else before, that, that this moment in Jesus' baptism has a, a, a wave, a tidal wave, a tsunami wave of encouragement for the believer in Christ. Here's why. Because today, if you put your faith in Jesus... Today, if you said yes to Jesus and you become a new creation and you said, you know what? It's not about me. The old has gone. The new has come. I am a blood-bought follower of Jesus. That means that when the Father sees you, he doesn't just see you. He sees you covered by Jesus. And the Father looks at Jesus, watch this, and he says, I'm pleased with you. So today, if you're in Jesus, I want you to hear this. It's a prophetic word. If today, if you're in Jesus, the Father looks at you right now, and he says, this is my beloved son, my beloved daughter. I'm pleased with you. Amen. Too often, we find ourselves having to try, 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 and work hard, hard, hard. I got to work hard to get the Father's pleasure. For God to be pleased with me, I got to do all these things. Notice on Jesus' baptism, he hadn't done anything yet. Je like, it's one thing if Jesus walks on water, multiplies the, 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 the water into wine, he dies on the cross, he rises from the grave, and then finally God says, that's my son whom I'm well pleased with. How about at the beginning, before Jesus did anything or any of that, God said, I'm already pleased with you. You don't have to do a thing. Wow. God says, son, you don't have to do any of that. I'm already pleased with you. He says those same words to you in Christ. When we put on Christ... Put on the gospel, we become a mini Christ. Like today, I'm a mini Christ because of my identities in Christ. So when God looks at me, even in all my failures, even in all my dysfunction, I have to remind myself every day that the Lord's pleased with me. Like even in all my, 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 my mess ups, if I return to Jesus, he's, he's already pleased with me. Some of you just need to know that this morning. That in Christ... That's an if. If you're not in Christ, he's not pleased with you. Hear that. Like, if you chose to reject Christ or you're not in Christ or you haven't received Christ, here's your moment of humility to say, I need Christ and I'm going to receive him today. Because some, some people say these things foolishly. They say, man, stop. Only, only God can judge me. And I say, that's your biggest problem. Like, you don't want God judging you. 
you're already judged. The judgment's done. Like, you're on your way to hell. Or you can receive Jesus and be counted pleased with the Father. Some people say, man, stop. Only God knows my heart. That's your problem. Your heart is deceitful and wicked and sinful. Jesus knows your heart too, but he loves you enough to save you. And if you're in Christ, God speaks over you today. Look at the person next to you and say, you. Make sure everybody's caught. You, if you're watching this online, everybody, God speaks this word over you, and he says, if you're in me, I'm pleased with you. I can remember a season in my life, Nina, you probably remember this story. I just felt a, a heavy wrestle where I just felt like I was, I was already a believer. I'd already been baptized. I, I was growing in my faith, but I just got a little distant. Like if God was here, he didn't move. I just got distant. I stopped reading as much. I stopped praying as much. I stopped engaging in community as much. And I just began to feel distant, like God was displeased with me. And I remember being at church one morning, and I was worshiping. And I was just asking God, like, what's going on with me? And this brother just came over to me, and he just put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, the Lord's pleased with you, brother. And it was that moment that I recognized, man, it's not about trying daily. It's about dying daily to myself, to my pride. And it's about saying, you know what? Out of God's pleasing in my life, I'm going to live obedient. I'm not living for his pleasure. I already got it in Christ. Amen? In Christ. I, I, there's nothing more I could do to earn it. There's nothing less I could do to lose it. I already got it. And that's what's going to motivate me to be me today in Christ. Amen?